You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Episode 323, no Julia tonight, today, this week, this episode. She's got a... An apartment emergency. It was unclear what that actually equates <laughs> Some, to. Something with water. They call yeah. So she's she got out of work. She's on her way here. She probably just barely left work, and then she calls me. And she's like, "I don't know what's going on. I got a call from my apartment complex. The unit below me said water is leaking into their apartment." And I'm like, "Well, what's going on?" She's like, "I don't know. I asked them. So is something leaking? Is it the fridge? Is it is it the bathtub? Is there water running?" And the person who called is like, "I don't know. I just work at the front office." I'll try to get someone from maintenance I'll call to call maintenance. you back. <laughs> so anyway, she's stuck in traffic heading back to her apartment as we speak. That's rough. That sucks. Especially from her new business, which she had a grand opening this yep, last year. Yep, she did have a grand opening. It went really well. Um, I don't know dollar figures, but I know she made a few thousand over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said she did really cute. well. Which for an open, for grand opening, that's nice. Uh, we did end up going back up there a couple times throughout the weekend to help us stuff her. Her AC went out (laughs) Sunday, and it's funny because she's like, there's something wrong with the filter, and it's flashing, and it won't turn on. I'm like, well, did you clean the filter? Well, no. And I'm like, I've been telling you, clean that filter because it's luck. So we went up and we took care of it. It's just a little unit, yeah. Luckily, it's just that plastic kind that you take and wash out, but it's got a sensor in it that if it's clogged, it just shuts itself down. Yeah, because otherwise, it'll overheat and burn out the motor. So there's no air there for couple hours and it was like what 97 i don't understand julia (laughs) you won't listen to this i'm sure and if you were here i'd say it i do not understand why your generation will not fucking listen to people giving advice i don't know only each other and they don't know the other yeah, people. They they're like, I will trust my other 22-year-old friend that knows jack shit about it like anything, I do. But my dad tells me, or Chris tells me, or my mom tells my me. My friend likes cars, so I'm going to trust her mechanic and then end up with a $1,000 repair at my parents' mechanic because the guy that I took it to has no fucking clue what went wrong. What is it with our children? I don't know. They just don't listen. <laughs> they just don't listen. At one point, Sean was taking advice, and she's like, yeah, she's like... This lady that's like over 40 and stuff. Yes, yeah, so am I. And I'm your mom. Just, do, so does it, does an age bracket mean they, you can trust them? Like, is there like a magic 32 to 39? I think it's just not mom and dad. Well, that's true. Well, cause I don't know how many times over, especially over the, the year that we've all been post- podcasting together, you guys have told her stuff that I've told her till I'm blue in the face. And she's like, Oh, well, Chris said I should do this. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking said Duh. that 12 times, chick. <laughs> like, come on. Or the comments she'll make, I never learned that at home. Yes, you did. Anyway, <laughs> it's their generation. So hopefully whatever's leaking, she gets figured out, and she should be back with us next week. <laughs> hopefully it's nothing bad for her. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. And with apartments, it's hard to say because they typically put all the central plumbing together. So something could be leaking. There but, could be something leaking from the apartment above her apartment, and nobody she wasn't home right. and doesn't know. And And it could be a central pipe. That's got an issue that's going down, mm-hmm. but it's in between the... Fl- who knows? Anyway, but... It's helpful. We'll she said don't she'll send me info. an update. That's <laughs> what's so going on. So maybe you'll hear later uh, in the podcast. We'll get an update, have, a live update from Julia. Update. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, 
I've been thinking, um, I kind of miss doing some news on the show a little bit. I don't know. I put some news in. I saw that. I, I saw that and I went, you know, maybe there's a way we can get <laughs> some of that back in the show because we have been much more just interview and that's it for the show. And I don't know. I don't know. The nice thing about our show, those of you who have held on with us this whole time, is we do change and we've tried all kinds of different things. Some of Worked really well, some not as much, but we're all about adapting and changing. But I agree. The thing is, is I'll agree up front. We did too much news. Oh, we did way too much and too many events. But then when COVID hit and there was nothing to talk about COVID and that got old. Now that things are starting to move again, I agree. Maybe we look at because there's stuff, there's stuff we could talk about that I think is more worthy of us discussing and, you know, putting, putting info out there. Cause otherwise we just do it per diem like we just do it as we feel necessary or as we find well, interesting things like when we talk about fireworks or fires or whatever yeah that's like pretty much every summer we bitch about <laughs> lighting fires well and every year they burn something down speaking of that's the news that i put in there some guy started um springville on fire because he was trying to kill a spider with fire I, like what kind of fire a lighter yeah I, I think did, so. I did see some posts about that today. What the fuck, Like, man. the side of the mountain's on fire. So, I saw it on TikTok. I saw the, like, the aftermath, like, it's out now and everything's good. And so, I was like, this is not here. This is not real. What the hell? And so, I looked it up and no, it is indeed real. Um, 40 acres burned uh, At least it's just a small yesterday. Fire. Yeah. So, it was just a small fire, but still, like, it was... Still, some guy trying to burn a spider. Forty acres is still forty acres, and if they had to send fire crews out there, it gets it expensive. Did. Fast. That's thousands. And yeah, thousands. fire crews actually had it out before the rain started, but the rain did help, like make sure that nothing started up again. So did that that thunderstorm hit you guys here last night too? Yeah, oh it was yeah, wild. it was wild. I was like, you know, I was like, oh, it's gonna rain today, like because we were prepping for our trip here and and i was we like, had, uh, like we had stuff out in the garage and we'd like well should out. we put it out back i'm like no because it's gonna rain i don't want to put it out on the back porch even though it's only gonna be a day like i i just don't want to and so yeah sure enough okay so here's another thing so i had um this weekend cleaned out most of my garden bed so that my plants can grow more <laughs> All the weeds. Uh, at the grass. It was almost all grass. <laughs> like, really tall grass. Um, and I, we took over some of the lawn for that. And yesterday, garden. yesterday evening, I was like, well, it might not rain, like, the way things work up here. Yeah. Like, I should run my drip line. So I turned my drip line on. I left it on, oops, for like two hours. It's the most water that that garden's gotten in weeks, probably. Um, cause I felt better about it with no grass there to feed. <laughs> but then I was like, in the the like craziest part of the thunderstorm, I'm like, oh fuck, I left the water on. <laughs> so like, I feel like run outside, and in like less than sixty like you had seconds, to have like a towel, and less like than the, sixty the seconds, the carpet was wet. Yeah, I had to I had to dry myself off with the towel. I was soaked. So it's funny we didn't get, we just got a sprinkle. We didn't really get the rain. Oh, it was sheets and sheets. Like of you rain. could in the lights on the street, like, and you could see the wind blowing the currents of but, water. But we got the thunder and the lightning. Oh, the lightning storm was great. That was awesome. We just had the lights off in the bedroom and you could just see the thunder or the lightning like coming through the curtains. I missed that. that. That's so probably cool. one of my favorite things about summertime is is a nighttime thunder lightning storm. Open up the windows and just kind of lay in bed. I love that. Yeah, it's one. I yeah, love it was storm. just. I mean, you could just hear it, and it, the trees were just going crazy, and 
It was actually really, really cool. We, it was nice to go to sleep to. We did get dumped on this morning, though. Around nine o'clock, we got a huge rainstorm went through us. Yeah, we didn't get that one. I yeah, I got that at the office. My car was at the office, and it's covered in dirt rain. Dirt rain. Yeah. Dirt and rain. I, I didn't go by the car wash on the way home today. I might try tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> I'm trying to get home fast. So we'll that's one thing. As, as a kid, I remember so growing up in Iowa, when when they get rain in the Midwest, they get rain. It's not like here where it rains for five, six minutes, 12 if you're lucky. It'll rain for like six hours mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, in the Midwest. So I, that was one thing I loved as a kid. Of course, it was hot as hell and the humidity because it's Iowa, <laughs> but it was still, I loved that. Well, it was really humid today too, so. That, that Those rainstorms as a kid and then the thunderstorms, are, I, I just love that. That's like one of my favorite things about summer. Those also bring tornadoes when you live in places like Iowa. It's true. Uh, or, you know, poor those poor people in Kentucky. Oof. Or just even like Nevada, just like I watched a video of the Bellagio with water in it and running in the parking all garage. The all the casinos had water in the buildings. Well, and sadly, this time of year, because they built those tent cities in the retention. They, they try to kick all the people out on those regularly. So those and it's when, when you drive by them when it's dry and you see really how big and deep those are. And then when they get those those rainstorms and they're full. They've got to be 10 feet deep. Yeah, we talked about this uh, maybe a week or two ago. A week or two ago. Because St. George has been getting the flash floods. But yeah. yeah, just go look up the flooded Vegas casinos. And there's, I mean, the water's on the casino yeah, floors. Yeah, it is not just in the parking garage. It is in the hotels. Well, in Yellowstone still is, I mean, they opened things back up, but they lost all of those bridges. And oh, yeah, that, that park's not going to be the same There's some parts for that are not accessible at all and yet. It won't be for probably a couple of years, because they've got to rebuild the infrastructure. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. And then meanwhile, in Salt Lake City, um, <laughs> I still can't believe they did this. They changed the speed limit to 20 miles an hour on all city roads in Salt Lake City. But just Salt Lake City. Yeah. That's pretty so you know. wild. I think it, so it clearly has been, it's somewhat of an overstep, I think. I think it's going to have an impact on like the city council, but I don't, you know, I don't live in Salt Lake City proper. I'm honestly not in Salt Lake City proper very often, but it is, it is, um, an interesting thing because of the way our, uh, streets are designed. Um, you know, the, the, uh, Salt Lake to like South Salt Lake to like Holiday. It's pretty ambiguous where those lines are drawn unless you know. And so to be moving from one to the other and then suddenly you're in a 20 mile an hour speed limit from what's likely 30. Um, and it was 25 across Salt Lake prior. But uh, that's a big change for people. It well, means more tickets. Salt Lake proper is actually pretty small. Like the footprint of actual Salt Lake City is not very big because like you said, you've got North Salt Lake, South Salt Lake. Um, yeah, but. That's South Salt Lake doesn't start until like 33rd. So is it all the way to 33rd then? Yeah, it's Salt Lake City. Hmm. Like Salt Lake City, the boundary of Salt Lake City um, is, it's bigger than you think. I mean, yeah. it does stretch out because you've got all the way out west. So it goes, Salt Lake City goes all the way out to like, fuck, like, well, the, the past the airport westwise. Like it's. Hmm. Salt Lake City proper I, goes out past the I airport. guess there's just so much industrial stuff out there that I don't, yeah. you don't tend to. So it goes up to like Beck Street, essentially. Uh, and then it goes all the way out to um, in places like 27 South. Um, so like the part of Sugar House that's all the way out there. I think 
21st South is where South Salt Lake starts when you're down by State Street. Like, that's the demarcation line for a lot of it. And then it's all the way east. So there's, like, a chunk of it that is, like, 27th South when you're, like, I think it's, like, 7th East is where it yeah, changes. Yeah, because when that, I worked on 21st South and 7th, we were in Salt Lake. Yeah, I think, Lake. I think at either 6th or 7th East, the boundary moves all the way out to, like, um, 27th. That's going to be one of those things that's going to interesting to enforce and to see how they mm-hmm. enforce it because that's right because nibley is in salt lake city and nibley's on like 27 oh yeah and, and but like kelly's in mill creek and she's on 27th and 23rd uh-huh. so it's like a weird well so far for, in my industry that's like the no man's land of is that the county is that the city is that mill creek is that yeah so that whole conglomerate there you're rolling the dice because some of the cities are really good to work with and some are horrible and it just depends on well and i i I think the the salt lake um change so the the 20 mile an hour speed limit signs that they put up um you know i think that that change uh was a reaction to all the auto pedestrian accidents that have happened recently because there's been a lot like there's been a lot in yeah. the last well, year. No, no doubt that's what it's about. And then the bi- the biking lanes, they've had issues with with people just plowing through the bike lanes. And then that's how I do it. <laughs> haven't they changed a couple of the streets to bike only for? No, but they've rerouted like the way the bike lanes are. Because so. I know they were talk they were, they were talking about like right downtown to have certain sections of the road that were no cars. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're doing a bunch of that stuff. I mean, the the over, I think, is somewhat of an overreach, and maybe it'll have a consequence. Maybe not. I mean, Salt Lake's pretty damn liberal, but that's pretty insane. Like, a school zone everywhere. Um, but they did it. I mean, they did use studies to identify if that was really worthwhile, or at least at least they're using studies to justify it now. Um, and it is, I mean, it is real. So they, the study they specifically look at, there was a study by a AAA in like 2011. And it said the risk of an average person dying in an auto pedestrian crash dropped from 12% to 7% when vehicle speed fell from 25 to 20. So that's pretty significant, right? 5%. But the reality is even in a 25 mile an hour, what are people going? 30 to 35 miles an hour, right? true. The rate jumps to 25% at 32 miles an hour. So you're going from 25% down to 7%. And so there is a significant difference there. And the thing is, 32 in a 20 is a big fucking ticket. It's over 10. I mean, it's not astronomical, but it's a ticket. And before, if you were going 32 in a 25, you're probably not even going to get a ticket. So there's there's a significant change there. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how many tickets they rack up there in Salt Lake over the next <laughs> little while. It'll be interesting to see what those numbers look like. But anyway, I just I, I was reading that. I think that happened last week officially, uh, and maybe earlier this week. Or I know they've been talking about it for a few week, months. But, well, because they passed it, I think in May. Yeah, and so it's uh I don't know. I think it's stupid, but whatever. I, I mean, there's it. there's evidence to show it might work. It's just it's such a small little area to do it in, and most people won't even realize they're in that area. Right That's why off. I say enforcing it's what will be interesting to see if they do, if they can, and how much do they enforce it? Because their entire police force could, like, just do that and stay busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, 
That's the news I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's maybe where that came from. I was still thinking about it today. I talked to Bree about it a few days ago, and I was like, well, um, I don't know. There's interesting stuff happening. Oh, I have to tell a story. So, so today at the office, um, I work in a building off of 104th, and uh, this is, okay, there is a reason they call it a hen house when you work in an office with a bunch of old ladies. <laughs> Uh, or just a bunch of ladies in general, but old ladies are. This are is why I don't specific. like being in the office because I don't like this. And and okay, so apparently at some point there was a guy out front of our building. Now our building's pretty locked down; like all the offices, pretty much in the building, have keycard access. The only door that's open is there's a door on the main floor, and then there's a door on the second floor, which is the back side of the building where everyone goes in because that's where the parking is for employees. And so. There was some guy apparently on the first floor, like banging his head into a wall and like acting weird. And so the lady that sits at like the front, she's not actually a receptionist because this isn't really a public, a public space for, for my company. And we share it with Stuart who owns us. And so anyway, the lady that's standing that sits there, she comes over and she's like, Hey, there's a weird guy. We've locked the door up front. Like you need to use your badge to go in and out. Cause I go through that door a lot because it's direct for me to get to the bathroom. Uh, and I pee a lot. Um, <laughs> no, but she's like, you need to use your badge. But just be aware. She's like, we're already talking building security. They're going to lock down the building and they've already, they're shutting off the elevators. And I'm like, it's just a fucking dude. Like there's also stairways that don't have locks on the door cause they can't lock them legally. It's against the rules. Like it's against fire code. Like, so I'm like, okay, whatever, you know? And she's like, She's like, oh, just telling you just in case. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really bothered by strange people or weird people walking around. I live in Kearns. <laughs> and like, okay, so I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell some stuff about that. But so for like an hour, at least an hour, all of these ladies are walking around from place to place trying to look out the windows of our third story spot completely locked to see if they can see the guy and see if he's left. They've already called the cops because there's a weird guy. That I mean, I get it. If there was a guy outside my building banging his head on a wall, I would probably call the police too because there's obviously something wrong with but, him. But, but they didn't do shit. You're building downtown. That's way more likely. Though. For over, oh, and we've had some weird <laughs> shit happen. For over an hour, they I, they didn't work at all. They were walking around opening the, the blinds and looking out the window trying to find this guy. I mean, I've told stories about working at Kitty Corner from the St. Vincent de Paul soup kitchen. So like, I'm... I'm not super bothered all, by that shit either. All I could think was, it's like the fucking chicken coop at Jeremy's house. They're just fucking <laughs> walking around, and one of them what? finds something what? and says something, and all of them walk over with their fucking heads, like, bobbing, like, what's over here? And all of a sudden, they're all chasing one for who knows what reason. Yeah, and so so anyway, that was the funny part. But then I was telling Bree about it, and I'm like, yeah, I just told her that I see we- weird people all the time because I live in Kearns, and Bree's like, stop disparaging where we live. I said, I'm not, but it's not untrue. But I said- The people that are in Kearns usually aren't wandering around. They're pretty stationary. Like So I said- I said, okay, but case in point, example number one, the Kearns Pirate. Weird dude walking around. He doesn't walk around. He's just standing on the corner. Well, and he's gone because the COVID's got him. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I think our guest is here. Um, uh, but anyway, I'm going to finish the story real quick. So, uh, so <laughs> literally like minutes after that, I get, you know, all the neighborhood, the neighbor's ring thing, right? And the neighbor's. I get a notification from someone that says, 
weird guy on bike riding around the neighborhood. <laughs> it was like serendipitous that it was like literally within a couple minutes of Brie going, come on, we don't really have weird people around Kearns. Yeah, but those ring. Oh, they're the best. Idiots. There's a stranger at my door. Well, answer it. Maybe it's a delivery. Maybe it's a package. I just, yeah. All right. With us this week, uh, we have Lee and Monique Hill. Did I say that right, Monique? You did. Okay. Perfect. Good. Good. Um, I'm actually really excited to have these guys on because I've been a fan of their barbecue sauce, Big Daddy Hills Barbecue, for quite some time. Um, I first bought it at the farmer's market like, God, I don't know. Five, six years ago? A long time ago. Maybe even longer? I don't know how long ago. A really been long time ago. And we're, we're at that point, it's starting to feel like a long time ago <laughs> when we think back to those early days. So. Yeah, it was probably four or five years ago. Um, and I was like, oh, someone's making their own barbecue sauce. I like to make barbecue sauce. It's a lot better than the store-bought stuff for the most part. And I'm going to try it out. And it is fantastic, and I buy it all the time. And so, um, you know, we went around the market, uh, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago. And uh, we talked to a ton of the vendors, and I said, we should have these guys on. <laughs> and then I bought sauce, too. <laughs> um, but we want to talk a little bit about you guys. Um, first off, what month were you guys born in? I was born in May. What part of May? First, latter part? Mid. Mid. So in August, mid-August. What were your parents doing in mid-August? <laughs> Did they go to a concert? In California, maybe. Was there, oh, California. So mm-hmm. could have been anything in California. Anything. Summer loving. Exactly. There you, you go. Know. What about you? Um, August. Mid-August. So, wow, you guys are like opposite. You're like solid nine months apart. So November, yeah. so like Thanksgiving time. Yeah, I believe so. So, wow. I, I mean, I, I was there in a way. That's but, a, that's like, a real. <laughs> but kind of after the fact, so. That's know. a really awkward like post-Thanksgiving tradition, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Well, hey, it paid off. I we got it. our guests here It was today. an equally awkward conversation <laughs> with them, so. <laughs> so as long as you guys have thought about it before, you know, that's important. And now you have. Yeah. <laughs> So now, next time you you know uh, mid August rolls around here in the next couple of weeks, you're just gonna be like, hey, hey, uh, conception day. <laughs> you can have two birthdays now. Yeah, <laughs> or, or that's a perfect way. So so we're going into my my birthday's next week, or actually Sunday. So now she can for every year for the remainder of our life, she'll go. You know. It was about this time that, uh, yeah, that I came around. Lucky you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. What were my parents doing? (laughs) So are we really celebrating you, Monique, or are we celebrating me? It's always about her, right? Always, always. It should be. It should be. So where were you guys guys born? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in California, and my mother passed away when I was seven. Oh, wow. So. I went and lived with an aunt and uncle in California and um, joined the military uh, right out of high school. What, what branch? And I was in the Army and in the Air Force. A Does, real one and a semi-real one. <laughs> the Chair Force? <laughs> no, I only ask because there's a lot of Navy ah. in California, in parts of mm-hmm. California. They got exactly. Navy. What part of California? You don't get Navy here. You, you get Air Force, you get Army, but there's really no Navy in uh, landlocked Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is a Navy training center, a nuclear training center up in Idaho. True. That's where Chris was going to go. Which makes it interesting to to get in those um, 
watercraft in Idaho. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, they have, we had a we had a uh, nuclear bomb go off here, right in Utah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Makes it interesting to grow anything if that you're going to try to eat. Oh yeah. yeah? Oh yeah. So, Makes yeah. it. Or you know, being at the tailings pond out in daybreak. <laughs> yeah, I've all, we've we, we, we've had it. We've had many talks about that. For 150 years, where daybreak is, has been the slag pits and the tailing ponds for mm-hmm. the mine. The mine. Mm-hmm. And now they're building build houses. Houses there, and then all these reports of well, there medical are, issues, and it's like there are actual agreements when you buy a house out there that you are not supposed to grow anything in their ground. You are not supposed to have in-ground gardens. <laughs> yeah. No, literally, it's part of the. I, the oh, I believe part of the covenants. Yeah, Lee and I looked at buying a house there, and they had me all the way up until they said, "You can buy the house, but you don't own the land." Yeah. I said mm-hmm. I'm out. Yep. Yeah, well, then, and the exorbitant yeah. HOAs that that oh, crazy, that, and it's not across the board one and the same, but no, but they're all from what we could gather, they're pretty exorbitant. So, well, and there's a bunch of different ones. I mean, honestly, if this is my opinion of HOAs, it's well versed. I hate them in oh, general. I think I they're terrible. I think where they exist and they do good is when you live in like a condominium complex or you live in a, an area where there's a bunch of townhouses and you have shared grounds. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. when HOAs make sense. Because that when, makes sense because then you then you can work through your condo the, issues. The but, promise of an HOA of, oh, well, all the houses will be upkept and look not That's just not how it ends up working ever. I agree. So... I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the HOAs, and that's one of many reasons I would never live in Daybreak. Um, so, anyway, so Army, <laughs> and Army, Air Force. Right. Army Air Force, and we met in the Air Force. We actually were doing training in Texas, and um, then what was it? How many months later did we get married? Texas were we seven months, or was it no? It was about six months. Yeah, about six and months we got been, married after that, and we've been together going ever over since. Twenty years, yes. And so yeah. you were Air Force as well, then, yeah. I was Air Force, yeah, um, only Air Force. Uh, I I grew up in North Carolina, and um, I, I mean, I would love to tell the story that you know, joining the Air Force, it was like the sense of duty and <laughs> you know, the patriotic duty thing. But uh, but no, it was honestly, it was like I, I need a ticket out of this place because I was going nowhere fast. I. I graduated, had my undergrad degree. Um, what What did you study? Um, I I was a social science major, minor in history, and uh, was going to focus on teaching, and ended up in social work, and and that was good. But that's a tough career. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see a lot of really difficult situations. Um, so it just wasn't for me. And there just was not anything you, you really, where I grew up, you have your haves and have nots. So that, uh, that feeling of opportunity just wasn't there. And I couldn't, it's not like I could really put my finger on it. Like I, I didn't know then certainly did not know then that, okay, I, I have this entrepreneur spirit and I just, I need to get out of here so I can grow. I just needed to get out because I'd spent 20, what, 24 years there and, I just had to go. So is that where your family is from and still, are they still mostly out there? Um, yes and no. So we still have property there, but, um, um, but my youngest sister lives in Florida now. And then my, um, middle sister, she's up around Durham. Oh. So, and then okay. we've just moved my parents to, to Durham. 
they're getting up in age, so we just wanted to make sure they were close to someone. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I joined the military or joined the Air Force, rather. What, what did you do to Texas in the Air Force? I, I was a crew chief by trade. Oh. And then, uh, let's see. Okay, you look like a you look like the size of a pilot. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you that can't see, we just see, went up to Lee's the base a, big guy. a few weeks ago, and we're actually discussing sizes of pilots, which so, is why. Yeah, so we were up at the base a couple of weeks ago. So at the end of every month, we do what we call Utah Adventure Week. And this last time we went up to Hill Air Force Base, and we're looking at all that. And Chris and I are looking at everything like we couldn't fit in any of no. those. So we're looking at like the B fifty two. And like the pilot seat and the co-pilot seat, it's like I would need both of those. <laughs> so that was the thing we were Pilots talking about. Pilots are tiny. You've got to be like five foot one and ninety-five pounds to be a pilot. And yeah, they're they're pretty small guys. It's been, well in the fighters for especially sure, especially in the fighters. Yeah, um, I, I was a one thirty crew chief uh, starting out, and was stationed um, just north of Dallas for a while. Did training there. That's actually where Monique and I met, and then. Um, and then I got moved to or PCS to Little Rock, Arkansas. So I, I really thought it was bad where I was at in Texas. And then really <laughs> I discovered, I was like, oh, this is really bad here. I really like Texas. What was it that you didn't like? The heat, the weather, or the job Well, it itself? was just different. Oh. Everything was, but everything was different for me. So the first time I ever flew on a plane was going to basic training. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I grew up in a, a very small community in uh, southeastern North Carolina, and um first computer I ever owned and had ever used was the one that we had bought, I think, when we first moved out to Tucson, Arizona. So I was really sheltered guy. I mean, we're, that- we're talking like farming, tobacco crops, and like just it's just poor there. So, I mean, I really just needed to get out. But uh, it's kind of funny that you joined the Air Force and you've never even been in a plane. That's kind of ironic. Yeah, I just, uh, <laughs> I mean, nothing wrong with that, but that is kind of. And, and I and and trust me, when I flew out of RDU, I was scared to death. <laughs> so, um, so I, I'm curious. So, oh, wait, I want to know what Monique did. So we talked that you you did both Army Air Force. So how did that happen? How did that? I went into the Army. Um, because I had this glorified idea that it was, it was this um, great, you know, thing that you could do as a person, and you could go in and go into the army. I had this glorified idea of what the army was. <laughs> so, so all the things that he was not going into the army. Oh Air yeah, Force I was total dirtbag. Did we get right out the yeah. gate? Total dirtbag. So, um. so I was an MP in the army. Oh, oh so you even had it like. Yeah, wow. she was eat up with it. That's yeah. cool, though. Well, Woman MP. I'm yeah, I moved respect. up into investigations. And, you know, when you start going in through the ranks of the MP Corps, um, it's it's really just doggy dog. Mm. And and I really, as a, being a um, going up and doing, like, investigations, um, I wore point clothes. But you really just saw the horror of people. And I couldn't, my brain couldn't take it. You know, I, the things that you see on the base, you know, just was horrifying. And the things that people do to each other and to themselves, I just couldn't mm-hmm. take it. So um, I served my enlisted term, which was six years. And I went into the um, the Army Guard. And I served for a while doing that. And then I went into the Air Force and I worked on, but, but as an MP, I do have to say, 
I was like always the cool one. If you came <laughs> on to base and you were, and you had been drinking, I would say, Hey, call somebody. Like I wouldn't ruin your career. I would try to help you. Mm-hmm. But, um, the Air Force I worked on, uh, they're called refuelers. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, is, it, is it here? Because I've got mm-hmm. the refueling wing right. up at Hill. Oh, yeah, that, oh, we okay. talked yeah. a lot about those. So I, when I was mm-hmm. in college back in the late 1900s, <laughs> um, I had a roommate who was in the refueling wing. Mm-hmm. He loved it. Yeah, he yeah. thought it was great. He, he he actually ran the boom. It was like which is cool. He, I was I was studying to run the boom, but we had gotten married, and I was traveling from Tucson to Utah to do the to do the guard work with yeah, the one the, weekend a month, two weeks out of the year, the, yeah. um, Air National Guard. <laughs> and finally, after about what was it, two years or three years? Well, you were at year fourteen, and I was just like, I can't take this anymore. We we're just, and, and I was at that point in time. I I had become very career focused. Um, so I transitioned and, and, and was moving forward and doing really well. Um, so by that time we were married, we were set up in, in Arizona and I had moved from just working just trash hauler C 130s, uh, crewing those aircraft to, um, I was working on, uh, electronic combat oh. aircraft. So it was big flying computers and then, then moved over to, um, to 79th special operations so i was in that and and then took over was a production superintendent for a while i'd 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 had an injury took me out of flying status and and so um yeah we we were just we were i mean 14 years in how are you not career oriented (laughs) like but we were we were set at that point in time and she was she was doing well but she was doing the guard and and it really was a lot of wear and tear Um, that's a long drive our flight, mostly, mostly driving. So we had decided that I stepped back from that. Hindsight, I should have just stayed a little bit longer for that retirement, right? But, but yeah. yeah so sometimes you just can't, though. And yes. I think I was at that point to where I just mentally needed something different. Yeah, I felt like I had served, and you know, I was over in the Middle East and mm. saw some crazy stuff, and I just decided, you know what, it's time to, you know focus on family it's time to focus on you know what we're doing in tucson so. so so how does that work by the way when you guys are married and you're both in the air force like do they pay any attention to how they station you because you're married or they just put you wherever anyway she had put in for a for a transfer but her career field did not just directly translate so it wasn't like she worked in admin and yeah and she could go from mission support at the guard base here to then go to the Tucson guard base if there was an opening. Um, it, it's, it is really career field based. And, and although there were, um, there are crew chiefs at the Tucson national guard, they have 16s there. And she was working on KC 135s up very, here. Very so very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and there really, really wasn't much. I mean, that we could do. I mean, there were, there were, we had made friends with, um, with some retired chief master sergeants and they, they had helped us along with some of the, some of the transitioning. So we, we did try to do that and get you to move down to Tucson, but there was no openings. Yeah. There were Tucson no openings and it just really just wasn't, um, so how'd you guys end up here in Utah permanently? So we moved around and we actually ended up in North Carolina and so we were living there. He was working as a social worker for the state. And so this is after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I ended up leaving. Um, I ended up leaving active duty. I did eight years and, and then, um, 
we were running a business in Tucson, um, just as uh, we were we were doing logistics brokerage. So we were just we were coordinating movement of freight on like eighteen mm-hmm. wheelers, and and then this all took place. We left that, um, or that went away. Basically, this was around the turn of the economy when everything when, when everything eight. blew up in in '07, and then we were, ended up in in North Carolina. Sold all of our property, so we we were we were okay, but um, but I just picked up a job and and um, went back to where I had worked for a while, which it was because it was something to do, and I was hoping, okay, well, maybe after the military, I can pick up in some other career field, like with Raytheon missile systems or something, mm-hmm. because before we left Tucson. Um, I had been offered contracts from CIA and, and it was like, yeah, we're not doing that. And she even <laughs> said, you know, you're not going down that road because we won't be married for long. Mm-hmm. So that didn't, that was not going to work and that wasn't an option, but we did look at me going to work at Raytheon missile systems in Tucson and then contracts got dropped there. And then we tried to pick up with something in the Raleigh Durham area or the research triangle region with them. But uh, just nothing ever panned out. So she came out here to train to do do some work back in logistics. Um, our brother-in-law has a logistics brokerage. And, and so she was training to go back to work with him. And she brought the kids out. And, uh, and then we had discovered that our daughter, our youngest, had a pre-birth stroke. And uh, we just didn't know until things just started to mm-hmm. show up and... Well, she how, wasn't. She wasn't meeting milestones. Like she wasn't rolling over, and but how would you know something like and that? You don't until you, there's until really, it just happens. Yeah, yeah, you really don't. And so her, you know, when she was having seizures, her face would get really red. But as a baby, you're not quite sure what that is. Right? You're like, so, is she like constipated or something? Yes, or because she would so, have like these weird shakes, and mm-hmm, but so, it wasn't like anything you would ever think that huh. was really anything going on and right so and I, she was always fussy too so we were like really thinking she got some dietary issues or some stomach problems and which is pretty normal mm-hmm. which which is yeah which is pretty normal but when she didn't meet her milestones and she started having more of these seizures you know and i started looking more and more i was here i was training well we didn't even know there were seizures and at the time we didn't know there were seizures i didn't know what it was but i was like there's something going on i took her to three different doctors in this Salt Lake area, and all three of them said, you're crazy. Mm. And I said, mother knows, like, there's something going yeah. on, like, like I need help. So then somebody suggested this pedi- pediatric doctor in Salt Lake, and I took her there, and she had a seizure while he was looking at her. On the initial exam. And yeah. he said, take her to primary children. So we came here due to training, but then the closest hospital in North Carolina that we were close to that actually was a functioning able to help her was Duke and it was four oh, hours wow. away. Oh, wow. That's a long ways away. So here with the doctors bringing up primary children, we made a decision, you know what, we need to stay here. So she's thriving. She's not having seizures. She's oh, four, she'll be 14 this oh, month. Oh, that's awesome. So, and she's doing incredible. She primary children is awesome. What's that? She a youngest. She's the youngest. Yeah. The youngest. Yeah. And, She's actually the reason why this, the ball got rolling with the, with the barbecue stuff. Oh, so, yeah. I was going to say, how did you get into That's our next question. Yeah. How, yeah. how do we get into barbecue? Good transition. <laughs> well, and, and it was because, um, I mean, I had moved out here. She had already been here about three, four months and, um, 
and she was staying at and her sister and brother-in-law's house. So I came out and we were just living in their basement for a little while and until I could get and kind of get set up with work and, and we literally were making like no money. So, and with two kids, she was trying to stay at home with them and with all the things that were starting to appear with, with our daughter, we just felt like it's best for you to be home right. with the kids for a little while. It's kind of hard to send your baby off to somebody else knowing she could have a seizure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we, once we did discover those issues, uh, we were like, we have no money for the insurance that we had just would not cover the special therapy she would need. Um, and, uh, and so w- there was a conversation that Monique and her sister had. It's like, why don't you make the barbecue sauce and sell it at farmer's markets? Um, the same stuff that you're giving away as gifts to people. And we were giving away those gifts because not because people, not in my opinion, not because people like were dying to have this barbecue sauce, but we were just flank, frankly that broke. So. It's a, but, uh, well, it's a good gift too. Like, I mean, I don't know. We've given away his spaghetti I've sauce, it. and uh, it's not because we're broke. It's because it's really good. So, yeah. so back, to amazing. back up just yeah. a little, how and when did you start making barbecue sauce? Um, I don't know. I was always tinkering with things, even even growing up. But um, when I think I really got into cooking and started getting more serious about it, probably when we were in Arizona. And I mean, I really, really started getting serious. And like, we were, we were not just looking for Walmart knives. We were like professional knives. And I was really getting into different cuts of meat. And did you take like some cooking classes or was it? No, I mean, everything was pretty much self-taught or reading books and, and just really diving into it. And, um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, we ate well, that's for sure. (laughs) And, uh, and so that's kind of how I discovered starting to make sauces. And then I just created something with, you know, just grocery store ingredients that I really liked, thought it worked out well and, and other people liked it. And then off the suggestion from, um, Monique and her sister, we made our first 72 jars, I believe it was. Wow. And, and it was uh, that's an undertaking. Yeah, and it, it was not a it was not a good. Well, it was we not it, it was not an opening success story for yeah, sure. It was a funny story. We we made it and sold it at a market, JetBlue. I worked for JetBlue at the time, off and on, and they had this market, and we said yes, we would love to do this. And so we sold it at the JetBlue market, and this lady comes up to us and she's like, "Is this even?" edible is this even safe to eat you know oh, wow. so that was our first experience we thought we were going to sell out of the 70 how many did we sell lee how many did we end up selling um we ended up negative six dollars on that first event oh, because, no. because of, we sold enough but we still we bought lunch for the kids and and for us and yeah it, it just it was it's, it was pretty rough to, it's not easy it's not easy starting to sell stuff like that <laughs> So how did you get to the point where you actually did get into, started getting into actual farmer's markets and kind of tell the story of how you progressed from, you know, jarring 72 from bottles six to, to, to now well, having I mean, we just kept at it, you know, and, and um, I mean, we just kept at it and, and, and I was saying, you know what, I mean, our kids are worth this, uh, especially my daughter with, she's, she's going to need whatever. So let's just keep at it. And I mean, heck, we still had 
60 some jars. So I was like, well, at least we got to sell that. So, um, so we were doing Wasatch Front Farmers Market out at Gardner Village and then Wheeler Farm. Um, way back when, when Marianne was running that and, uh, and, um, it, I remember the first time we did Gardner Village, we did like 160 bucks in sales or something. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Cause all we really needed was about 200 bucks, um, about 200 bucks a week, I think it was for therapy. And so we were almost there and then uh, talked with Mary and she says, well, you'll do much better if you go to Wheeler Farm. And, and I guess it's because there's larger crowds there on Sundays. And so we, we did Wheeler Farm and, um, that place is insane on Sundays. Yeah. We did, it's we grown. did that when it was about 200 bucks started. that we did in sales. And we, I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is why we're doing it. This is going to work out. And then we realized, okay, well, that first 72 jars didn't last very long. So mm-hmm. now we have to make more. So then we started figuring that out and we were certainly going to need more, um, I guess better purchasing options. And at that time we were, we were buying like, uh, pre-made ketchups and everything for our base because that's the only way I knew mm-hmm. how to do things. And, uh, it just, we just really, I kind of used the same method as I did with everything else in cooking, which is just really invest myself in it, start reading, looking at different, you know, different companies and what do they do and try to mimic that process. And, uh, and it just, it continued to progress over that first year, but we were doing cottage kitchen and then we did a rented uh, commercial kitchen. And then I think in our second year is when we built our first kitchen. And, uh, your and first so, kitchen. So how many have you had? Two. <laughs> two. Well, we've we're, had two. We've had two. We, that we've built, built two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been in five or six different kitchens, um, through renting or sharing and, and, uh, and yeah, it took us probably about two, three years to really, really gain some traction. And we had a, we had a good solid farmer's market following. Um, at the time we had picked up, uh, Harmon's was interested. They carried our product for a while. And then we picked up their contract where we were actually making the private label Harmon's barbecue sauces. Wow. Okay. So are you still making their private label stuff? No, no. Um, I have reached back out to them. So that all fell, fell apart through multiple distrib- distributor issues. And, and that's just a, oh, that's a nightmare to deal with that <laughs> here. Um, because barbecue sauce is not necessarily one of those. High-end gourmet items, even if you have a great barbecue it's sauce. It's not a fancy a ton of chocolate bar. Exactly. Like- <laughs> so your margins will go to nothing if you're going to use like Kehi or or um, some of the other, uh, like the A1 Priori, or which is uh, Tony Caputo's, oh. their distribution arm. Um, there's not the margin to cover, so you're going to be basically at zero or losing money. And so we we – had not really, or was still to this day, haven't necessarily completely figured that one out, um, to get back into retail. So we, we made the conscious effort to just withdraw our product from all retail locations because we started to get so busy, one with online direct consumer from farmers markets. And then we started doing private label work for other companies and contract packaging that, um, we just don't have the time to do self-distribution. 
nor do we have the manpower really or the equipment like a truck and everything. So, so uh, is this like a, is this a full time gig now? Oh, this is full time. Yeah, it has been for years. Yeah. And, um, and we, yeah, we, I don't know. Now it doesn't seem like there's really any, any end in sight. So, I mean, to go <laughs> from bad like thing. 72 <laughs> jars over the course of a week making that to, I think we did what two weeks ago, right prior to me flying out to go visit family for a week. We did one like ten thousand units in a weekend. Holy cow! So I mean, it's it's a lot that we do now. So how do you? I'm I'm actually curious. How do you come up with new stuff? Because you you you, I've even noticed over the last four or five years a lot of new stuff. So how do you come up with the, you know, the flavor profiles and stuff like that that you put into into the sauce? I think the I think traveling we we were traveling a pretty good bit. Um, we were going down to the Caribbean quite a bit, and and just instead of just doing like your you know a vinegar based sauce out of North Carolina or a sweet Kansas City rib sauce or or like a Texas style uh, flavor, we really started let's let's look outside of the U.S. and let's draw some inspiration not just from like. What does Buffalo Wild Wings take on a Jamaican jerk sauce? But what what do the locals eat? We'll like really start to dig into that, and 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 it's a challenge sometimes because you're like, I don't want to do this and not do it well. So sometimes it, it we've had some what I thought were really good ideas, and they just were really horrible <laughs> outcomes. But um, um, and then some things we just think, oh, this is just a fun take on what we're already doing, and let's look at some of the local items. So um, I I like Asian food. So mm. uh, instead of just doing uh, like a Korean-style barbecue or or a Japanese teriyaki, that's kind of – Apricot teriyaki. That's so kind of how we came up with the apricot teriyaki. It was like, let's fuse those cuisines together, but let's do it with what do you find in Utah? You're getting apricots here. Mm. So instead he doesn't of doing even the, like apricots, oh, and he loves so that barbecue yeah. So instead of doing the Fuji, cool. you know, Fuji apple and an Asian pear, which you would typically find in Korean style barbecue mm-hmm. sauce, uh, we're just mixing up a um, a custom made Japanese style sweet teriyaki sauce with you know with the garlic and the ginger and then so the good. the apricots, and it's like. This works. All right. So Our raspberry chipotle is really good. So too. are you the one that's creating all of your new stuff or do you have people helping you or is it just the two of you? I, thinking- I've been creating everything. I wrote all the recipes and, um, and then, um, with that, we see that there's, you know, not just recipe development, but then we, we try everything. So, um, thus the, the, the weight I've put on here. So, um, <laughs> we do actually not just throw it together and go, well, I hope this sells. We're, we're trying it out and, and we'll do any number of, of meals. Um, but we've learned a lot along the way as, as well. And we understand the ingredients that we're working with. And, um, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just know certain things we can put together and, and, uh, and we just know they're going to work. And so the Sonoran heat was really just kind of a play on our fajita seasoning and, and um, we just wanted to make a spicy version, really. So that's how that came out last week. So, so how, 
how did the how did the seasonings come about? Because you were just sauces for a long time. How did the how did the seasonings actually come about? Um, so I went back to grad school when I was in the military, and um, and getting an MBA. You know, when when I was finishing school, you you would have to do, um, you know, research studies um, on on other businesses for well for business school, and. Um, and so I was just kind of looking at other companies and what have they done? And, uh, because if you're just a one trick pony, it's really difficult to get, you know, people to come out and, and really invest in you if you've got one item. So that's how we had different flavors of sauces, but then we wanted to mix it up because we didn't want to just have only sauce. We were thinking, well, there's no one else doing barbecue seasonings here. Let's do that too. And, and, um, you know, and I, I think we didn't have a big enough headache as it was. So we really wanted to <laughs> just punish ourselves more. So, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think it's funny because he approached me and said, Hey, let's do a rub. Let's do a barbecue rub and we'll do, you know, one and see what, see what everybody thinks. And I said, really? Look at all the sauce we're doing. You want to do rubs? <laughs> There's no way we can do rubs. We can't do rubs. No, we can't do rubs. And, yeah, and said, I think we had four sauces at the time. Too, right. So, so he said, I'm going to do it anyway. I think, I think when so. I saw you guys at the market like a couple of weeks ago, there were some 20-something bottles of sauce. <laughs> there's a ton. There's, there's a bunch. A there's over a dozen. Yeah. There, there's usually on average just between 9 and 11 on the table, different flavors. And then, and now we're adding a, a much wider variety of the of the seasoning line, um, and that's just ours, not including like. Um, so we do blending for hook spices and rubs. So we do his blending, uh, and although those are his recipes, one hundred percent, we're still having to keep up with. I think he's got eight flavors right now. Um, we manufacture for Hey Grow Hay, another Utah company. She's been featured on Food Network several times. And so we're currently doing five sauces for her. Those are her recipes and we just, we're just, um, just packaging for, for her. And, um, and then, uh, we, we do a couple different restaurants that we manufacture for some of our recipes and then some for them. We have another, we have a what a health and nutrition company in New Jersey that we do a custom uh, sugar-free barbecue sauce for, um, and uh, and then we've got another health and nutrition company down in Texas that we're doing barbecue sauces for, and that's like four different sauces for them. And then another company that they focus on seasonings, but now we're doing well. Now I, I actually talked to the owner of that company yesterday, and they're wanting to do up to 12 sauces by the end of the year. So that's So where's your where's your main packaging and and uh manufacturing, manufacturing. facility at? Um so we've moved to Sandy. Okay. So we're right off the right off the interstate, so 90th and 500 West and Oh okay. I um, know exactly where that's at. I work over there. Yeah. So we've gone from a 400 square foot kitchen to this one we've built built out and was like 5000 square foot warehouse and we have no room. It, is it in one of those new warehouses over there? No. It's the older ones right past the new ones. Oh, really, okay. really okay. old. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, so I something used to you work... would see in a horror film when we first moved in there. <laughs> is it kind of a lot of story? So, you know, the Pheasant Hollow that's right there off of 90th, and I guess it's like, I guess it's closer to 98th. But um, like the road behind Maverick, the Mavericks, you know where the two yes. dueling Mavericks are? Yeah. That. 
Yeah, it's yeah. So it'll be on the the South Side Maverick. Yeah. So if you turn and hit yeah, south exactly on five hundred west, yeah, I work. I still work at the end, the other end on one hundred and fourth and Jordan Parkway okay. right there. So you're you're close. So you're yeah. like in between. Close. Yeah, and I was working up until about a month ago on ninety eighth and Jordan Parkway, so I moved real far. <laughs> Just up the street. So yeah, I drive by the there so all the time. Are you producing all of that as well as packaging, or is some of it come to you and you're just packaging? Oh no, we you we do everything from raw ingredients. That's wild. So no that pre-made is a ingredients. A lot of manufacturing. Yeah. So we're actually for all the barbecue sauces. So uh, we're 100 percent no high fructose corn syrup. So um, so we actually manufacture our own ketchup, which we make ketchup for. Um, for a company that's sold in retail and, and different restaurants. I think Shake Shack is some of their locations are using ours from what I understand. I don't, I don't really know. We just private label it and they just take it away and sell it. I don't know where it goes. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's so, so much, that's so much stuff to go from selling a few jars to try and, you know, make so, ends meet to help your kid. So you're making multiple things a day or do you run like one day is a huge batch of something or? How do you manage all that? I think it, just it depends. depends on the orders that uh, come t- in. Today we'll do about a hundred gallons of barbecue sauce between two flavors, and then we're almost finished with that. So when we leave here, we'll go back to work tonight because we're we're headed out of town next week. But um, but we've done nine different dry rubs today. So so yeah, we we rip through a lot of stuff. But sometimes we may do three hundred gallons of barbecue sauce in one day of just one flavor. It just kind of depends on well, yeah, what the so. task at hand is. I mean, production schedules really are, are varied right now. Um, so do you have help, or is it just the two of you? Um, it has been the two of us and our son, who's fifteen now, um, and he is he's he's doing great working. I mean, we've had we've had two other well, we've had we, so we. We do have uh, other part-time help. Yeah, two other part-time people. And, but it's pretty uh, much the two of you running the show. Yeah, and and we made it our goal this year to actually with the with the space in the facility to uh, focus less on on hiring people and putting more hands to work and fully changing our process. So we're looking at doing full automation. Awesome. And so that's where instead of a lot of piecework with a single bottle at a time, we're hoping by I'm guessing last week of September, first week of October, we'll have a we'll have like a, a either a four or six head multi fill system that oh, um, that's great that will it's fully automated with lines, so the bottles just go to the the fill heads and they just drop down. Yeah, we we watch a lot of how it's made, so you know I can actually like picture that in my head. I just you sound a lot like him when you're talking about like uh, <laughs> the things that you do and how you develop your flavors and stuff because he loves to cook. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't think it's so much to not hire, but hiring is so difficult. We've tried to go it through is. and hire, and it's so extremely difficult to get people to even look at us unless you're paying, you know, twenty, twenty five, thirty dollars an hour, and so. I think we are going to try to automate and then bring people yeah, in at definitely. that point. So, well, then you got to yeah, start, once- you know, doing like all the insurance side of of having all of those employees and what what kind of things that you need to provide for them, and that's just a whole nother level. That it sounds like you guys might be a little bit busy to try and <laughs> try and work out. through right now. Well, and a lot of this equipment. I mean, I I don't I do not have a background in. In, uh, in, in food and, and I guess, um, 
a manufacturing background. I do not have that. So a lot of this equipment, it comes in and like literally we rip open the crates and Monique looks at me, she goes, okay, so, um, so let's move it into place and what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and this, and she's like, we'll okay, plug it in the, and see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, where are the instructions? And it's like, uh, they didn't come with them. What are we supposed to do? Who do we call? And it's like, do you speak Chinese? And it's like, because uh, most of the stuff comes is manufacturing in China and YouTube. It'll come in exactly. <laughs> YouTube teaches do. you everything. So, um, we literally have learned so much, but what we found is, a lot of the equipment, we'll get small scale, small scale stuff first. And then all you're doing is you're adding, um, you know, a, a few other bells and whistles or, um, where you were manually setting up something, you'll have a, a computer a touch button. screen that you're like, you're setting and it's just timing, you know, to, uh, to synchronize everything, but it all operates the same way. It's just much, much larger. So. But you're happy you got that MBA about right now, though. Well, that that's definitely helped with the the back end stuff, yeah. like running the numbers, calculating profit margins. A lot margins of people, and, that's where they fail, right? They're really good at cooking and they they have this great product, but they don't know how to manage that, and so they fail. Even though maybe if they had that background, they could have succeeded. So. Don't, don't discount it like that. No, no. And I use it, but I, I probably would be less inclined to use it if it wasn't for Monique. She's the one that really, she, she pulls the reins back. She says, well, <laughs> think about this for a minute. And so I'll slow down do enough really to actually to say, well, yeah, let's ones? do it. Let's do it the smart way. So I'm going to listen to you. There let's has to be a runner and there and has to be a, you know, the, the lion tamer and your. In your relationship, so that's good, right? But but when you're when you are interested in and in, in, in cooking and and you really enjoy it, it's it's hard to not just be squirrel. Okay, unless we're off to the races with this, you know. So, um, and you really can waste a ton of money, you know. Oh yeah, doing R and D, running time. down a bunch of different rabbit holes at one time. So um, yeah, he'll come up and he'll be like. I've decided I'm going to make that and I've been reading up on it for hours and I'm like, okay. And then he makes it and it's good. And okay. And now I, this could have meant it better. And I think this and this. So, yeah. It's just on just my level. When people ask me like, what's your favorite restaurant? It's Chris's kitchen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm going to put you both on the spot. Actually, which of all of the sauces is your favorite? Just if you're going to enjoy it and, and have it with something, which is your favorite? I like Jamaican. You can put it on eggs. You can put it on chicken, pork, fish, make a pizza. I put it on potatoes. I mean, the Jamaican, we actually, when we were in Jamaica, we talked, our waiter was Jamaican. And we said, hey, there's just something that doesn't quite click with our Jamaican sauce. So he said, I'll help you. So he went out when we poured it in Jamaica and got some different spices and brought it back to us and said, try this. This is what we use. And so we tried it. It's amazing. It's absolutely a thousand times better than I think what we did initially. And I put it on everything. How about you? <laughs> He's got to think it's about it. It's hard to pick a favorite baby. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it does really depend on kind of the mood I'm in um, or what we're preparing. But if I find myself going back to one thing more more often than not, it's usually our original, the sweet and tangy. 
Um, and, and I've heard anything from this is a great, like, uh, Western North Carolina style to this is the most Utah sauce I've ever had in my life. And it's well, there's like no it, Utah barbecue. So that's no, and there's not. And, and <laughs> actually that True. we actually had to kind of customize to the Utah palette because it's actual original. The original sweet and tangy is, is still different. It, it was thinner. It was, it had a little more heat to it. Um, and, and, I mean, but. Until you really get somebody to really trust what you're doing, I think to to just put that out there, it's a hard sell because it's it's really thin. It'll run off a spoon, or you know, it's yeah, not going to stay on a chip or anything. Thin. But uh, so the sweet and tangy, we had to thicken up a little bit. We took some of that heat out, some of the pepperiness, and um, and um, it's still really thin, by the way. Yeah. It's, and, it's and still it's, very thin compared to most sauces that are very, very thick. But yeah. And it's meant to be that way. Like so it. it still does serve the purpose. Mainly it was, it was a pork sauce. Yeah. That's, and, by the um, way, the pork nachos we've had the last couple of weeks, that's yeah, been the original. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes a really good, uh, smoked pulled pork. And when we have some leftover, our favorite thing to do is literally lay each chip and he puts pork on each so one. I put bar- I put barbecue sauce and on the, it first. Yeah, and then it. sounds amazing. My mouth is watering. It's ah. fantastic. And then we just take the whole tray and like he's got his side with a little bit of I extra know, hot extra sauce. hot sauce stuff that he puts on it, and then we just eat to the center. <laughs> Yum! Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that's great. Um, so all of your dry rubs, kind of same question. Do you have a favorite with your dry herbs? I like both, but I ha- if, if I really. Had to pick one. I'm a dry rub. I prefer dry rub. If I had to pick. I mean, I love both, but dry rub. So when I do my uh, ribs and stuff, I do them with a dry rub. When I do, like, I'll smoke a whole chicken, and I'll put dry rub on all of it. I really like dry rubs. I I think for me, hands down, our our brisket, Texas brisket, is just where it's at. I mean, we do some other rubs that are really good, but and they, they sell great. But our our number one selling product, period. I mean, over anything is our Texas brisket rub, and and I use that on anything from eggs, potatoes. It's got, it's got a little kick to it. Um, it it's it has a little more of that black pepper. I was like say, you it should be like in, heavy in black Texas, pepper, right? Yeah. Chris um, is from Texas, so. But it, it works well. I've done beer can chicken with it. I mean, all kinds of stuff, and uh, it just works for me. So. I I don't know. I think I I really enjoy the apple when we have the apple rub. Yeah. But I think when we have the apple I rub, think, <laughs> I think from what we have that's, now, that's a sore spot. Let's not talk about that. I think <laughs> Sonoran Heat is a newer one, and it's a habanero, uh, sugar free, and it's delicious on uh, chicken, shrimp, phenomenal. So mm, sounds good. So I have another question for you guys um, that is unrelated to all of that because you've made a home and a life here in Utah and both being in the military, you've been a lot of places. What is the most interesting or unique thing that you guys have discovered about Utah since you've been living here? Hmm. Well, what do you think? I, I You can love, have two different answers. Yeah. I mean, I love um, going up into the mountains and um, our son has is starting to have a passion to snowboard uh-huh. and so i used to snowboard when it wasn't cool and everybody hated people that snowboarded <laughs> yeah. way back when they still do if you go to alta 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Alta doesn't like snowboarders. There you go. Well, yeah, this was, um, I think Brighton was the only ski resort yeah. that would allow snowboarders yeah. at the time that I was going. Yeah. That would have been like late 90s, mm. mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And so. I, in my opinion, when uh, the Olympics picked up snowboarding, I think that's when it uh, made a big turnaround. I think. It's so much easier okay. than skiing. Like, I used to ski a lot. And then I, sw- and then, you know, I used to scowl at the snowboarders because they'd leave grooves in the mm-hmm. snow. But then I tried snow. I said, I'll just try it. And I fell in love with it. I, so I absolutely, so my, my son is picking it up and now he wants to go up and I'm like, Oh, I need to get in shape. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't go up this year, but yeah. So I love the mountains. I love being up in the mountains and it's beautiful here in Utah. And also everything about Utah, everything is so clean. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, you know, the streets are clean, the cities are clean. Especially if you, like, California. California, oh, right? So, so dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I think what I, what I have found probably most interesting and, and, um, and, and great about Utah really is when you talk about a state having diversity, there's, there's not many other states, if any other state that I've ever been in that has the diversity as far as not necessarily the population, but the, what you can find. You can go in the mountains in the summer and you can do hiking. You can go in the mountains in the, in the winter and you can ski or snowboard. But at any time of year, you can get a different type of hiking. If you go to Southern Utah because you have desert landscape. Or you can have a completely different season if you go to southern Utah versus <laughs> you could be snowboarding on Saturday, but then you could go to St. George on Sunday and just hang out and not freeze to death. Um, yeah. that's, that's true. I was even thinking, I was actually looking today at pictures of Little Sahara, which is, you know, the, the dunes and, and sand mountain that are west of Utah, or west of Salt Lake, like an hour and a half. Uh, well, west of everything, but you know, there's actual sand dunes in the state yeah. of Utah, which that's why there's so many uh, films that are done in in Utah because within they can this, kind of travel within a movie without really yeah traveling. within the state you can be up in the mountains, you can be out in a desert, you can be on a lake, you can it's on southern and, Utah. And there's completely the, different areas of scenery, like uh, with Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and they did that out salt flats. Yeah. I mean, you just don't find that anywhere because it's here, you know. Yeah. So, and, and also what Monique said, I do agree with it, it is for the most part, it's, it's pretty darn clean here. Like I was just in North Carolina last week and, and flying in and, um, there was someone that was sitting in, in the, in the row behind me. And I heard the lady, she was talking to her husband, she says, look how green it is. And I look out and it's, yeah, it's green and it looks like home to me. But when you really get down in it, it's like, Ooh, this is not. It's not as clean though. Uh, I mean, and, and some of it is because, um, there's a lot of woods there. It's just, you know, the overall landscape, it looks great, but when you re- really get down in it, it's, it's not like the well manicured. It is interesting driving around in like North Carolina, that part of the country. You think there's like nothing, but if you can just look a foot into the thick woods, you see that, oh, there's a whole bunch of people that live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're on like the highways Pretty and you're cool. like, Seattle. 
there's Seattle nothing was the here. same way. Yeah. When you're driving through mm-hmm. Seattle, at first it's like, oh, there's nothing but trees. But then you're like, oh, no, no, there's people. Yeah, there's, <laughs> every, there's a disgusting the city lodged in there. <laughs> I like the greenery there, and it does remind me of home, but it is um, – It's nice to, to visit. The, the, the rain, it just we, – we have gone there for several years around the October, November time of year. It's just so dreary and just like, oh. I, I just don't know how people can do it. Well, we were just talking about that. We're talking about 12 like, minutes at a time here. So, you know, and then right. as opposed to he's from Ohio and he was like, Iowa. you know, Iowa. Iowa. That's yeah, the sorry. same place. And, <laughs> and it, you know, he's like, and it rains for hours on end. Days wow. in the Midwest. You know? Yeah. And you just, that just doesn't happen here. The dreary usually has shots of sun coming through. Except for and, January to February. Yeah. We won't talk about that one month out of the year that Salt Lake Valley is a horrible place to be. Except for that my daughter was born in January, so I still like it. Oh, yeah. Well, at the end, so maybe there wasn't an inversion. <laughs> yeah, I do have a hard time with certain months out of the year here because of the inversion. And, and it's just, rough. It's like I really wish something could be done about that. Or And it's, I mean, there's not, there's only so much we, we can do, you know, at a, at a certain level because... It was just the geography yeah. that yeah. we're in, you know. It happens basically two months out of the year that the air gets pretty bad, January to February, and then June. A lot of times, the summer's getting kicked off, and we don't have any storms yet. Can get real gnarly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, outside of that, man, Utah's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's why around. we have a podcast about it. Well, yeah. not the only reason, but we just like it. So yeah, we went to. Well, um, I was in Chicago working a trade show and I was like, Oh, Chicago's, you know, really cool. And it's got a great vibe. And at the end of the trip, I was like, I don't know. I I don't get stabbed. I want to make it back home. Chicago (laughs) Chicago has a great vibe right around downtown. As long as you don't see all the homeless people that are all over the place, but they're smart in Chicago. They come out from like 730 to nine. They vanish after that. (laughs) They're back from like 1130 to about 12, like 1245, one o'clock. And then they vanish again. And then they're back out from like four to six. I've worked in Chicago a bunch and. Every time I think of Chicago, I think of that uh, summer vacation where they, they're in Chicago, they get off the freeway, and they're lost, <laughs> and they're driving along, and the people are walking next to them, talking to them, but stealing their hubcaps oh, yeah. as they're rolling. <laughs> <laughs> we were in Oakland, actually, in, um, when did we go there? A few years was ago. It? No, 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 this year, when I took Luke out to baseball oh, game. Oh, you and Luke. Yeah. It was end of June or first, no, I think it was the end of June. So we were in Oakland, my brother-in-law and I, and, and we did a, we did a guy's trip and he brought his sons and, and my son went out and, uh, we go into a Korean barbecue <laughs> and from the time we go into the Korean barbecue, to the time we came back, all of his hubcaps were stolen off of the van. So, <laughs> oh, and man. he was, and I looked, I mean, literally we were leaving the parking lot. I had to go by our, we had to go by my office and, and grab something. And, uh, and I said, Oh, you, you, Put new hubcaps on. He goes, yeah. He said, I, I got brand new hubcaps. And I said, that's great. So instead of having one old dingy hubcap and then three missing ones, you've got four brand new ones. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm pretty happy about it. We go eat second night. We're there. We go into <laughs> Oakland. We have Korean barbecue and come out. I'm like, so, um, back to no hubcaps. How's, uh, How's the uh, hubcaps holding up for you? And he's like, <laughs> son of a. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tell him, tell him next time he just needs to invest in wheels. <laughs> so or just take him off when you go into town. Yeah. Put him in the trunk. Really? There you go. Well, he's just there still. He still doesn't have any. I just left him off. I think he's just like the hell with it. So. Yeah, I, I don't blame him. him. I don't blame him. So how can people? Find you guys to buy your delicious stuff. I mean, I already know how to find you, but our listeners may not. So we're we're full swing farmers market season right now. Saturdays at downtown Salt Lake City Farmers Market um, in Pioneer Park. We're doing uh, Sunday Wheeler Farm uh, Farmers Market, and then we are doing uh, last week was opening day at Murray Park for the Farm Bureau Murray Park Farmer's Market. And that's on Fridays and Saturdays. We are manning a booth on Saturdays only for now. Um, we also have our website, BigDaddyHills.com. Um, and we're looking to hopefully be doing a pretty big push to uh, really get some campaigns out there through social media to to bring more awareness to that. We want to grow that side of um, – you know, of our business, uh, because one, unless you happen to be traveling through, it's, it's kind of difficult to get our product. And, um, and two, we, as we have progressed with this new location, hopefully fairly soon, we'll have our retail section set up over in Sandy to where, um, people do not feel like they have to be stuck with just going to downtown if they don't want to, um, I think it's great in Pioneer Park and they, they do a great job cleaning it up and getting it ready. The vendors there are awesome, but parking could be a bit of a nightmare. So, um, we're, we're setting it up to where you can do a local pickup option to where if you either one, you miss it at the farmer's market because you got there late and we've sold out of something already, which happens very often nowadays. Yes, or, <laughs> or you just, you're not feeling like you're just not feeling it and you don't want to, and say you're not a, a regular to go to Wheeler Farm on Sundays, just order online, select the local pickup option and swing by and see the place and you pick up and it'll save the shipping. Um, I don't know if we're going to relaunch on Amazon at any time. Um, that, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a, gotta be hard. that's an, animal. that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, yeah, it's, we, we need to, We've talked about it, but instead of us managing it, actually hiring someone to manage that whole piece. But we've had so many transitions this year um, just with doing the automated line that it's – I don't know if we can digest it before the year's ever win. So. They'll just steal your recipe and then market as Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. So that's like their MO these days. Sell it for $5 less. Yeah, and then market as Amazon choice. Like every time someone searches for your crap, they'll throw their stuff up there. Yeah. Like, oh, thanks, Well, that, And that's the reason why you're actually paying someone to, you know, to manage it because they'll – they either have a longstanding relationship with Amazon to kind of prevent that from happening or they'll keep you on page one somehow or another. So I don't understand it, and I'm, I'm not a massive – tech guy i mean i i'm not afraid of computers but that is it same thing with social media uh, and i i have a great appreciation for it just it's not my forte yeah, we have a young person that handles most of our social media she's just not right here. yeah for that reason there you go. <laughs> yeah this guy's an architect and he didn't have an instagram for i don't know 20 years <laughs> It's yeah. just like, social media. It wasn't until we convinced his daughter that he needed one. She set it up and person? she runs it for him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm just old enough that I'm the same way. I respect social media. I see where it has its place. I'm busy. I don't have time to sit 
and play on social media and make posts and I mean, I do a, a token amount, but I just, I don't have time. Yeah. I tell everyone very often though, that if, if there was one regret I think I have about business, um, or the way we've carried out our business, um, there's probably only one and it's because, and we really, we followed the model that we did or the path that we took out of necessity. Uh, we really needed money to self-fund and also to accomplish that goal for paying for that physical therapy for our daughter. But um, I really wish I would have started right out the gate focusing on social media and and then developing a podcast ourselves because connecting with and creating a community is, I mean, you just, you don't see it in the very front end, but in the, in in the back end, it just becomes explosive and, and it really has created a lot of, I wouldn't say setbacks for us, but it's created a, a harder road for us. But then again, maybe, maybe we've path, needed, I think, a yeah, path but maybe we've needed to go slower so we could learn a lot about ourselves and a lot about what we're doing since we do not have a food, uh, a food background or a manufacturing background. We didn't work for someone else and then decide. Let's go out and create our own new wheel. You just you know? did it. So we, yeah, we just did it. We did it in the worst possible way too. We, I mean, I would never recommend anyone do <laughs> what we did. You know like, what though? A lot of people do it other ways and they just completely fail because, you know, at, at the very least you were doing it for the right reasons. Oh yeah. You had the kind of motivation that you, you weren't going to let yourself fail. Yeah. All those reasons, I, I mean, and I would tell people 100% absolutely, if you've got a great barbecue sauce or a great seasoning blend or if you make spaghetti sauce or um, even if you just make pasta or you, just anything, if you are passionate about it, go after it. I mean, have fun with it. Do it for the right reasons. If if you've got a family member that's in need and, and you've got a goal, absolutely to go do it. Just don't do it the way we did it. <laughs> we, we, because with those struggles with our daughter, the, the medical struggles, we, we did ours out of chapter seven bankruptcy. And I mean, like literally when you are like trying to start a business and you're watching a, a vehicle get drug out of your driveway <laughs> because you can't make the payments on it, that's not a smart way of doing business. So. And, and, but we would always encourage people do it, but just find a different way to do it or maybe work on all the other things <laughs> before you start spending the money and what you need. Um, or reach out to people. There are so many good people in here in, in Utah in like industries that I cannot tell you that initially we didn't get a lot of help, but then we started meeting other, uh, other business owners like Shades of Pell Brewing. And Trent Farger was just a massive help. I'd go in and I'd just mop a floor or help him put away a few things. Or next thing I know, I was bottling beer with him. And, and then I was seeing how much faster he was using. A, and this was way back in the day when he was doing the 22 ounce bombers mm -hmm. and he had a forehead liquid filler. And, and I was like, that's cool. And he goes, yeah, you need to get, but you don't need to get this for barbecue sauce. You need to get a paste filler for barbecue sauce and. What's that? So then I'm looking them up. <laughs> or, or if I needed a resource for a cleaning supply or, or an ingredient, even, uh, James Fowler with Sugar House Distillery yeah, is just, James, he's, James, he's yeah. awesome, you know, and, and, um, I've found so many different things. Or if there's, uh, a part I needed for an existing piece of equipment I have, I've been able to reach out to other friends I've made in the industry and, 
get seals for a, 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 a piece of equipment that's broken. And it's like, well, I could order this from this website in California, but it's five seals and it's like 57 bucks plus shipping. And they want to charge me $20 in shipping. And I was like, no, just go to this company, right? There's like five minutes from your house in West Jordan. So go pick one up today. And not yeah. Wait. And you get it today and you can get a hundred of them for like, you know, 18 bucks. So yeah. and it's like, Oh, have enough for like the next five years now. So, <laughs> but, um, so got to remember where you put them. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you guys a little bit and, and getting to hear your story. This has been really excited to have you on. So yeah, for sure. For sure. So we talked about this for some time. So, and it's a lot of back and forth and we get in our own way a lot of times and we appreciate you just staying on us and saying we'd like to have you because it's like you know well and we are happy to be here thank yeah. you so much yeah. for having us we're, we're very we're very glad to have you here so uh if you like what you heard uh please you know share the episode obviously you can follow us on social media at tnu podcast or go to our website thenewutah.com and uh Get some of their barbecue sauce, guys. It's really good. I I can't speak highly enough about it. I love the stuff. I, I use we it all use the it time. in Chris's kitchen all the time. I make my own barbecue sauce, but it takes a while, and I never, you know, I'm, it just takes too long. So I'm not trying to use stuff that's in the bottle that someone else made, especially awesome. since it's local. So. 